You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. There's long been a complicated relationship between science and religion, but science owes a lot to religion, despite the inherent tensions. Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, just to name the three main Western religions, have all made contributions to science at various times through history, advancing the fields of algebra, chemistry, astronomy, genetics, and more. Prognosis, Bloomberg's podcast about the intersection of health and technology and the unexpected places it's taking us. I'm your host, Michelle Faye Cortez. This week, we look more deeply into the study of family origins. It's an area where one religious denomination in particular has really had an impact. Here's Bloomberg health reporter Kristen B. Brown with the story. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the president and CEO of Family Search International, Steve Rockwood. You look great. We are going to have such a blast this week. First, I want to give a warm welcome to all of you who have joined us here for the very first time. If you've ever doubted the market potential of consumer DNA testing, then you probably haven't been to Roots Tech. You might have thought that you were just coming to a family history conference full of named dates and places. But let me warn you, you're about to find, and more importantly, you're about to feel so much more than that. Roots Tech is like the consumer electronics show for family history hobbyists. It is the world's biggest genealogy conference, and I'm not kidding when I say big. This year, more than 20,000 people from every state and 38 countries flocked to Salt Lake City for the four-day conference. To get a sense of how many people that is, consider that the conference fills downtown Salt Lake City's Salt Palace, a 700,000-square-foot convention center that served as the media center when Utah last hosted the Winter Olympics. The multitudes make the pilgrimage to Utah every year for one reason, to find out about the latest and greatest genealogical technologies. At Roots Tech, companies like Ancestry.com and 23andMe show up to show off their latest products, and people wait in hours-long lines for discounts. 
celebrity genealogists give talks and teach classes. And there are people from genealogical societies just roaming around in costumes their ancestors might have worn, like britches and pilgrim hats. My favorite thing there was this feature in the RootsTick app that showed you how many cousins you had at the conference and let you message them. There were these big digital displays everywhere with stats on how many cousins had connected. On the second day, I noticed one display that said more than 7,000 cousins had contacted each other through the app. I just love the idea that all these people were going to this conference and grabbing a cup of coffee with a family member they'd never met. It's like family tree building in real time. I write about DNA testing a lot and all of the sort of surprising consequences that have come out of a growing consumer interest in it. Filling out the family tree used to be a hobby relegated to grandparents and great aunts. Now, it seems like everyone is mailing away their DNA to find out about their roots. Seeing so many people gathered in one place to talk about genealogy really crystallized for me just how popular this hobby has become. On opening night, there was this live acapella show that thousands of people attended. Some people stood up in the aisles and danced. The place was a zoo. But maybe the craziest thing about Roots Tech is that it is actually put on by the Mormon Church. Or, more precisely, the conference is put on by FamilySearch, a genealogy organization run by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, as the church prefers to be called. At the opening ceremony, after that a cappella group sang, FamilySearch's CEO, Steve Rockwood, introduced several high-ranking members of the church. Please welcome to the stage the chairman of the board of FamilySearch International, a member of the Quorum of the Seventy of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, my boss, and my dear friend, Elder Bradley D. Foster. At one point, he told the crowd, we believe the Heavenly Father wants to connect us all together. This is a theme you hear repeated frequently at Roots Tech. We are all related. We're all one big family. To be clear, Roots Tech is not a religious conference, though atheists should be aware that there are some pretty clear religious overtones. Roots Tech is a genealogy conference that is put on by the Mormon Church. Around half of the people who attend are not Mormon. If you missed the moment where they invoked God and called church elders out on stage, you might have never known there was a religious connection at all. But there is a good reason that the church puts on the biggest genealogy conference in the world. Genealogy is a long-standing Mormon interest. More than that, it's become intertwined with Mormon beliefs. Mormons believe that families spend eternity together in the celestial kingdom, or heaven. They also believe in the baptism of the dead, a controversial practice in which those who did not find their faith on earth are given a chance at salvation, and a chance at eternity with the rest of their family. This is where genealogy comes in. If you're going to save the soul of your ancestor— you need to know who they are. So in the 19th century, the church began sending Mormons back to Europe to scour family records. And in the century since, the church has actively sought to bolster the science and industry of genealogy, including by, more recently, putting on RootsTech. A century before a consumer market even existed, the Mormon church had a need for better ways of doing genealogy. And in pushing genealogical techniques and technologies forward, 
It has set the stage for this crazy moment we're living in right now. A time when you can buy a DNA kit for $99 and find out how Scottish you are, or discover your dad isn't your dad, or even help the police catch a serial killer. It was this convergence of science, industry, and religion that had brought me to Roots Tech. Honestly, I just found it fascinating. At the conference, I sat down with Steve Rockwood, the CEO of Family Search that I mentioned earlier. He explained to me how genealogy has become such a big part of the Mormon faith. While it, it is universal, it is, it is innate desire to know where you come from, different people enter this and actually start putting resource towards it for different reasons. And um, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, there's actually a doctrinal reason why members of the church wanted to learn their, their family history. And uh, it's a simple, it's the simple principle that we believe that families can live together forever. And that that's a multi-generational um, experience so that you uh, can live with your, your loved ones that you knew um, while you lived here on earth in your immediate family, but you can also live with your grandparents and your great-grandparents. And we just believe families are forever. Many early Mormons were pioneers, escaping discrimination back east to eventually settle in the Great Salt Lake Valley. This is how genealogy entered the picture. The early members of the church back in the 1800s, uh, their homelands were in the eastern United States. They were in the UK. They were in uh, northern and western Europe. And uh, as they were converted to the gospel of Jesus Christ, they gathered together uh, in different parts of the eastern United States, the Midwest, and ultimately out here uh, to uh, the Intermountain West. And so here you have these pioneers that went through all of this to come here, and they had left their homelands, they had left their families, but there's this doctrine that families can be together, and if you perform certain ceremonies and rites in the, in the a temple of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, then you can give that offering to your ancestors. Well, in order for them to do that, they needed to have the records, and the records were back home. The records were thousands of miles away. In order to fulfill a key part of their faith, Mormon pioneers needed to access family records that they didn't have. So in 1894, the church founded the Genealogical Society of Utah, sending Mormons as far afield as Europe to track down original documents that would allow people to fill out their family trees. And it started as a service, and then the technology came. And so it went from service to let's use this technology, and that's when we started sending out camera crews to go start taking the pictures and all the archives. So it's, uh, that, that's the root of it, and it's evolved now for over 100 years. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com TechSF. Like Steve mentioned, at some point the church started to get really interested in new technologies that could help it do a better job of collecting family records and, ultimately, connecting families in heaven. 
In the 1930s, the church began using microfilm, photographing original documents so that they would be better preserved and more accessible. In the 1980s, as home computers became a thing, the church introduced software so that people could create and share their family trees electronically. With the advent of the internet, the church realized that the Genealogical Society of Utah could have a far wider reach and rechristened it Family Search. The Family Search website eventually launched in 1999, three years after Ancestry.com. Ancestry.com, by the way, also has Mormon roots. It was started by two Brigham Young grads who got their start selling Latter-day Saints publications on floppy disk. The church even created GEDCOM, which is the file format still used today for genealogical data. Today, the church record collection includes billions of digitized online records, along with more than 2.4 million rolls of microfilmed records, 742,000 microfiche, and hundreds of thousands of books and periodicals, all stored in the Family History Library on Temple Square in Salt Lake City and in the Granite Mountain Records Vault, which is basically a climate-controlled bunker for records built under 700 feet of rock to withstand a nuclear blast. Here's Steve again. Our role is simply to connect uh, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and those who aren't members of the Church to just simply connect them to their homelands and connect them back to their families. Exporting the enthusiasm for a genealogy, the Church is betting, is good for everyone. It means better technology, more access to records, and an easier path to salvation. The Church, Rockwood told me, wants to be a catalyst for the entire industry. That's actually why it started RootsTech back in 2011. Genealogists and technologists weren't talking to each other, and the church wanted to change that. We don't compete with absolutely anyone here at RootsTech. We don't compete with anyone in the industry. Uh, we want to see what they bring to the party. We want to see if what we can add to it and then find ways that maybe there's a more a synergistic approach. And we've been very, very successful in doing that. Above and beyond all else, we just want to be the trusted partner and the trusted, honest, uh, neutral entity here. And that's why we created RootsTech. We were the one organization um, that could actually bring everyone together. RootsTech exists to cement the church's role at the center of the genealogy industry. I talked with Donald Akinson, a historian at Queen's University in Canada, for some perspective on the contributions the church has made to the field. Almost a decade ago, Donald wrote a book about the Mormon church and genealogy. He told me he doesn't think the church gets enough credit for the role it has played in the field. This is something I've heard before from people in the industry, that the church really set the stage for the industry that would follow it. The church was kind of, it helped the first big wave of democratization of genealogy. If, you'd, if we talked in the year 18. 50, let's say, you know, before the church did this. But 1850, genealogy was something rich people did. If you're talking 1950, it starts to become possible, using often by Mormon sources, to start to, for everybody, if they'll take the time to start to learn about their family. And then it gets just easier and easier, and it snowballs. Um, so, yeah, the democratization of genealogy is, in large degree, caused by, made possible by the, the Mormon church. 
At Roots Tech, the biggest draw is classes where people learn things like how to search Scandinavian archives or read an ancestor's sloppy, hard to decipher handwriting. Increasingly, people are really interested in DNA testing, which in the past decade has gotten really easy and cheap. For a lot of people, DNA testing is like the gateway drug to genealogy. They send in a tube of spit to find out about their heritage just for fun. And all of a sudden, they're messaging with third cousins and obsessively trying to fill in the gaps on their family tree. All of the major DNA testing companies have multiple classes at Roots Tech, as well as huge booths where they're doing demonstrations and selling kits. I talked to a lot of people about why they were there. Some of them got the genealogy bug from a grandparent or had a friend or family member that was into it. Here's one woman I met. Jan. My husband is big into genealogy, and so I'm just, I'm, I'm starting, and okay. I'm loving it, and I'm loving to find my family. Okay, so you're being a supportive spouse. A supportive spouse, but now I love it, too. Okay. It's taking on a life of its own, It right? is, it is. It's just fun to know where we came from, and also, um, we have grandchildren, and the stories that we're finding from our history, I really think strengthens our grandchildren as we tell them, gosh, look what your great-great-grandparents lived through. You can live through today. It seems like, more than ever, we just want to know who we are and where we came from. Within the Mormon faith, enthusiasm for roots is baked into the culture. Within most Mormon congregations, there's a person whose duty it is to help people with their own family history. Brigham Young, the university owned by the church, even produces a popular Greatest Race-styled reality TV show in which participants forego technology on a hunt to find and meet relatives. Get ready for a race unlike any other. Are you guys our family? We're family, bro. <laughs> for the first time in my life, I met a little piece of my dad. I've gained a better appreciation for family. I talked for a long time with Sydney Orton, an 18-year-old BYU student who has been into genealogy since she was a little kid. She talked a lot about what genealogy means to her as a Mormon, but also about just how fun it is. I started when I was 11 years old. I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and as part of that religion, our church leaders really push us to be involved in genealogy. And one aspect that they were particularly focusing on in 2011 was um, indexing. And I thought, okay, I'll try it. So I did, and I fell in love with it. She told me what really got her hooked on genealogy were the stories she uncovered. There were stories behind the records where, like, weird things I'd find in records, like kids who died because they were born with two heads or this whole family where they named, they had nine kids, and they named every single kid after a character from the Bible, or not a character, a person from the Bible, and then their last kid they named Lucifer, which I just really wanted to know the story behind. Sydney started out helping the church index other people's records, but eventually she also got curious about her own family. Some of her ancestors were Mormon pioneers, people who traversed North America with hand-pulled carts to get to Utah. But this particular family, as I learned their story, I was just so blown away by their strength, their, their determination and loyalty to God and to each other. One of her distant great-grandmothers, Jane James, lost a baby on the boat to America from England and her husband on the trek to Utah. Her son got frostbite and couldn't walk. Sydney says Jane and her daughter survived on four ounces of flour a day pulling their carts to Utah in the snow. In other words, this relative was pretty tough. They had so much unwavering faith in God. It's, yeah, 
so it really touched me and I thought well if they have that much strength and I came from them and other ancestors like them then I have a lot of strength because they're my family. At Rootstech, I met lots of Mormons who were proud of the role the faith has played in popularizing an interest in family history. Paul Nada, a spokesperson for Family Search, told me that he thought the church has played a big role in influencing a lot of areas of the technology, like online family trees. The scrapbooking craze of the 80s and 90s, he said, even began in Mormon circles. Many credit the beginnings of that movement to one Utah Mormon family. Church tenants in modern science, of course, aren't always in sync. Far from it. While the Mormon church has embraced DNA testing, the technologies help confirm scientific findings also at odds with a core Mormon belief. The Book of Mormon holds that Native Americans descended from Jews, fleeing the conquest of ancient Israel by the Assyrians nearly 3,000 years ago. But population genetics support earlier work by archeologists and anthropologists that show humans first walked to North America about 14,000 years ago over a land bridge linking present-day Siberia with Alaska. That hasn't stopped the church from forging ahead with new technologies that it hopes can make genealogy more interesting and accessible. For the first time, this year Family Search will hold a second Roots Tech conference in London. Steve, the Family Search CEO, told me that Family Search's R&D arm is exploring how it might use artificial intelligence to help with archiving and searching records. It's also thinking about how it could help bolster the burgeoning field of consumer DNA testing. He said long-term planning for the church isn't a decade or two. That's short-term. They're planning for what the world might be like in hundreds of years, for the probability that future genealogists will suffer from having too much data instead of too little. There's this incredible emotion, even a spirit of the work that you feel when you find out um, how you're connected, either in general to your homeland or in general to your family. It's a feeling of, of uh, completeness, of connectedness, of belonging. In Utah, I visited the Family History Library, the place where so many of the church's records were kept. The prominence of the library right on Temple Square, directly across from the towering spires of the Salt Lake Temple, says a lot about the importance of genealogy to Mormons. It is a five-story temple to genealogical research, but unlike Mormon temples, the library is open to anyone. When I went inside, not really sure what I was looking for, a young and very enthusiastic church missionary sat me down at a computer and showed me the ropes. We decided to see if we could find any records related to my great-grandfather, Manuel, who swam to Texas from Mexico. Since Manuel was not a legal immigrant, I was surprised that we actually found some things. Like Sydney, I found the most fascinating things were the stories behind the records. From a 1939 census record, I learned that he'd worked 80 hours a week as a waiter, and that he and my great-grandmother had a lodger. I imagined his long days at the restaurant, coming home to his wife and my young grandfather. I wondered who that lodger was. There was also another record, one that just might have been him, a record of a man who at least shared his name and age crossing into America at about the right time. It was powerful. The young missionary Xeroxed the record for me. Helping people connect to their past, he told me, was really, really cool. 
For me, though, there was something slightly uncomfortable about finding pieces of my very Catholic great-grandfather's history enshrined in a building belonging to a religion to which neither of us belonged. Then again, if the church hadn't preserved so many of these records, who's to say they would still exist at all? For me, the records may not be a path to heaven, but at least they are a path to knowing a little bit more about my past. That's it for this week's prognosis. Do you have a story about healthcare in the U.S. or around the world? We want to hear from you. Find me on Twitter at Faye Cortez or email me mcortez at Bloomberg.net. If you were a fan of this episode, please take a minute to rate and review us. It really helps new listeners find the show. This episode was produced by Liz Smith. Our story editors were Drew Armstrong and Rick Shine. Francesca Levy is head of Bloomberg Podcasts. We'll be back in two weeks on May 9th with a new episode. See you then. And that's it for this week's prognosis. Thanks for listening. Do you have a story about healthcare in the U.S. or around the world? We want to hear from you. Find me on Twitter, at Faye Cortez, or send me an email, mcortez at Bloomberg.net. If you are a fan of this episode, please take a moment to rate and review us. It really helps new listeners find the show. This episode was produced by Liz Smith. Our story editors were Drew Armstrong and Rick Shine. Francesca Levy is head of podcasts. We'll be back on May 9th with our next episode. See you then. Francesca Levy is head of Bloomberg Podcasts. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.